Leaf's Lunch is brought to you by, brought to you in part by Two for One Pizza.com. Enjoy plant-based garden pesto pizza, pizza and wings, pizza and penne combo, and more. Visit Two for One Pizza.com. Hour two of Leaf's Lunch off and running with you, Julia Tashiri, and Mike DiStefano with you. We're gonna have Travis Yost with us in the next couple of minutes. He's our hockey analytics writer here at TSN, and he put out a great piece. Uh, last week was an AB about Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren and the way that they've provided such good value to the Leafs to, to start this season and just kind of their rise and what they're providing for the Leafs right now. And the Leafs coming off a 4-1 victory to the Winnipeg Jets last night. They have the Montreal Canadiens this weekend. We're going to have Kenzie Lalonde on uh, in about 25 minutes to, to tee that one up. But uh, Morgan Riley, AB, sorry, I'm like, this is a random thought. We didn't talk about talking about this in, in between the breaks. But Morgan Riley looked good again last night. I think I, I would say that's a couple games in a row that have looked promising. And both of them next to Timothy Lilligren. It's, it's, it was, we were laughing with Mark Masters earlier this week about the notion of Lilligren starting to prop up Morgan Riley when, when for so long it was, uh, it was Lilligren being propped up by other players. Mr. Mute. And maybe not even for so long. Like he, he it felt like Timothy Lilligren was in the minors forever, but it yeah. really just kind of expedited once uh once the Leafs actually acquired Mark Giordano and he got to play next to him. Yeah, he his his game definitely took a big elevation. I I really liked what I've seen out of Timothy Lilligren, so I'm glad that he's being given this opportunity. That said, I I mean once TJ Brody gets back, which could be as early as, as maybe Saturday or potentially Monday, I believe is what Mark Masters told us earlier this week. And it, it, when he gets back, I think he'll be re-put uh, together with uh, with Morgan Riley. But that said, I, I've really liked what Timothy Lilligren has been able to do this year. I think that he's starting to you know, find himself in the NHL. Like, I think we, we've talked about this with Frankie before, where you know, guys, when you're drafted, you come in as, as something else. So when he was drafted, he came in as somewhat like of an offensive type of guy. But then when he got to the NHL, it's like, well, you got to learn how to play defensively. And it took him a while. He was playing in the minors doing that. And then even when he got to the NHL last year, it took him a little bit to figure things out. But the way yeah. that I think he's playing right now, I think he's, he's figuring it out. He's figuring it out as, as it goes. And they both are, both him and Rasmus Sandin, right, the two young kids. And, and I think we got to give a lot of credit to – to uh to to Kyle Dubas because like when Jake Buzzin went down and then Riley went down and Brody went down we sat here and we said this team is screwed like they need to go make a move or they're going to find themselves in a bit of a pickle because at the time they weren't playing this way right it was shortly after that California road trip I think it was only like a week or two later when yeah uh, Riley and and Brody went down so it's like guys team's not like comfortably in a playoff spot they might not have to go and get themselves a blue liner to kind of help keep them afloat, but they found the solutions internally because those guys just really stepped up and started playing some quality, quality hockey. And now, as you know, it's a couple games here in a row where it's like, okay, Riley it didn't work with Connor Timmins. It didn't really work with Justin Hall. Let's see what he can do with Timothy Lilligren. And now it's been two games in a row where it's been really positive results. Now, was that Timothy Lilligren, or is that just Riley starting to regain yeah, that Yeah, probably a bit back? of both, right? Uh, yeah, it probably is like a little bit of column A and column B. But to say that still, like you, the fact that Sheldon Keith feels comfortable 
playing Timothy Lilligren in these top pair minutes, I think speaks to the volumes as to the progression that he's made in his game the last year and a half. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, I circle the Mark Giordano train as the TSN turning point, if you will, in, in Timothy Lilligren's development and his his career as, as a Maple Leaf. Uh, we're going to have Travis, oh, Travis Yost on the phone right now, our TSN hockey analytics writer. Travis, how's it going? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Good. We're currently in the midst of seeing the praises of, of Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. Uh, Timothy Lilligren we were talking about specifically in the way that he's kind of propped up Morgan Riley in, in Morgan Riley's last couple days in which he's games rather in which he started to look more like the Morgan Riley Leaf fans are, are used to seeing, but you put out a great deep dive about the value that Sandine and Lilligren are providing the Leafs right now as as in house developed defensemen. What did you uncover in your dive that uh that surprised you or caught your attention? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I, I think you could make an argument and Toronto's not the only organization in this spot anymore, but I think you could make the argument that maybe twenty years ago one or both of these guys um, between Sandine and Lugren don't get the shot that they're getting right now. Um, the, the league is just modernized in a way that puck moving and skating abilities are such heightened values on the blue line and raw physical play while still immensely valuable, maybe marginally less important than it was 20 years ago. And the reason why I bring it up is these are two players that the organization has developed exceptionally well they look every bit the quality of a top-four defender at the NHL, and we're talking about two guys who haven't even kissed 24 years of age yet. And I, th- I think the other key distinction here, too, is like, you know, if you're a Toronto, if you're any team in the league for that matter, but especially the teams that really spend to the cap ceiling, draft and development is so critically important because if you can nail some number of picks and develop these players and push them into integral roles, you can do things like, go sign a John Tavares in free agency for a ton of money or extend both Mitch Marner and William Nylander. And, like, I get it. Like, the cap the cap situation hasn't always been perfect in Toronto, but look at what Lilligren and Sandine impact-wise are on the books. It's pretty minimal. And on top of that, look at the performance you're getting from them. I, I was blown away looking at Lilligren's numbers. At even strength this season, the Maple Leafs are outscoring their opponents 32-14. to 14. That's plus 18 goals with Lilligren on the ice in a matter of, like, I, I think it's less than 600 minutes that he's played. So, yes, he's not getting the absolute toughest level of co- competition. He tends to play against middle six uh, opposition forwards. But Toronto is obliterating teams when he's on the ice, and the same thing is true for Sandine. I mean, I think Sandine is, like, plus eight in goal differential uh, at even strength over the course of the year. And these are, I mean, there is, there's no bigger luxury than being the coach, and you can put out a second or third pairing um, or even a hybrid pairing, and, and know that you are generally going to win the shot battle, the scoring chance battle, the goal differentials. It drives wins, and I, I think it's really interesting in contrast to a player like Morgan Riley. Um, you know, Riley's had phenomenal seasons, his resume speaks for himself, but Toronto's been outscored with Morgan Riley on the ice this year, right? Like So that, that to me is a very interesting dichotomy, and it's not always going to be the perfect and easiest job for the number one defender and, you know, in the case of Riley, he's going to get some tough minutes. He's going to face the best forwards. But guys like Lilligren and Sandine create real material advantages for the Maple Leafs where even when they don't have their best five-man unit on the ice, they are still driving goals. They're still driving wins. And I, I, I would put that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's Lincoln on Mount Rushmore, but 
it's got a face as one of the bigger reasons why Toronto is so well situated where they are right now. Well, I'm curious if you think that the the way that those two have played so far this season can you know, be sustainable in a playoff series where the game gets a little tighter and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have as much room to, to roam in the skating. You know, you, you know, some of that space gets taken away. Have you seen, you know, leaps from them throughout this season that you had maybe questions about last year? Because we did see Rasmus Sandin sit out the entire playoff series. We saw some of the Green come in and out of the lineup last year in the playoffs. What you've seen this year, though, do you believe that they can have that success in a seven-game series when the game changes a little? Yeah, it's a really good question, right? Because trust is extremely volatile, even for elite players. Trust is earned perpetually. And I think it's going to be I, – I, I don't think they're out of the woods entirely, but I really would be surprised if a player like Lilligren wasn't part of a routine top four, top five level usage throughout the entirety of the playoffs, however long or short they may be in large part because I think he's so much – I think of one of the areas of big improvement that I've seen from him, Lilligren specifically, we get to Sandine in a minute, but he's so much more spatially aware on the ice. Like I, I feel like he plays within structure much better he, this year than he has in years past. Your eyes can tease you a little bit when a player is driving these insanely valuable you know, goal differentials where everything is just seems to be running right when he's on the ice, but – I think that's it's it's a bit of a loop, right? Yes, it, it, there may be some puck luck in his in his in his pairings favor right now. Uh, on the other hand, like some of that luck is earned, right? Like if you don't take yourself out of position, you're making the easy play, you're transitioning the puck up ice quickly to forwards who can score at will on some nights. Like that's the, that's the sort of process stuff that it makes it almost impossible for a coach like Sheldon Keith to say, look, even if a player was struggling, or even if I have some degree of concerns, or he hits a slump, uh, hits a slump. Like, what is that sixth or seventh defensive option that's going to come in for a player like Lilgren or maybe more accurately Sandine, who did sit uh, quite a bit last year? Like, I, I just don't think that option is there, number one. And number two, I think both players have really earned it. It's not just the crazy goal differentials, too. I mean, if you look at expected goals, which really neutralizes the goaltender effect, the one, two, uh, sorry, one, the top three. Um, by expected goals on the Maple Leafs blue line are Mark Giordano, who's you know had, you know maybe a couple swings away from the Hall of Fame uh, at 58 percent, and Rasmus Sandin and Tim, Timothy Lilligren are carrying 56 percent of expected goals at even strength year to date. That is complete territorial domination. Yes, the level of competition is going to go up when it matters, you know, in in the playoff time, and maybe you have slightly more relative concern about the level of play. But, I mean, that they're dominating the average opponent right now. They're, they're, I, I, I think Toronto is going to double, if not triple down, on both of these guys. I like it. We were on the phone with Travis Yost, our TSN hockey analytics writer. We had Joe Bowen on a little bit earlier this week, Travis, and we were talking about Austin Matthews, and since we last spoke to Joe Bowen, Austin Matthews had that incredible game last night in which he scored two very Austin Matthews-esque goals, but it's no secret that his, his production offensively hasn't quite matched the output output so far this season, at least, uh, of the last couple of years, though he might be in the midst of, of heating up for a big second half. But Joe said, you know what, I actually have liked his Gamed his game more this year, and the more you dig into the numbers, he's he's second among all forwards in block shot at five on five. I think he's first in that stat. Yeah. AB discovered in our first block, uh, he had a big block shot last night. Does does that ring true to you that maybe although the offensive output is down a bit, that he uh, he actually has been a better all around player this year? And is there any specific stats that point to that? 
up there in takeaways. Yeah, I yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with this one because I I think scoring now granted for the for the you know top one percent type forwards scoring and scoring stability is perpetual, right? Like if you look at Connor McDavid's career scoring, it is the most flat and predictable trend line you've ever seen because he's always scoring all the time. The vast majority of players go through peaks and troughs and they, they always will generally regress toward their averages, wherever those averages are. In the case of Matthews, like the individual scoring hasn't been there, but his line and his five man unit are still dominating play. And to me, that's always the buyback. When I see a game-breaking forward, or any forward for that matter, see a serious decline in scoring, I ask myself, is this a result of less opportunity, less usage, less territorial advantage, poorer quality of teammates? Like You kind of want to check all those boxes. And in the case of Matthews, like when he's been in the lineup, Toronto, that five-man unit with Matthews on the ice, has, has by and large obliterated who they're playing. And whether it's Matthews getting the point or another forward getting the point, over a 10 or 15 game stretch, I think is way less important relative to is he, is he still a very threatening offensive player? And is he still, or is he working his way to be, you know, the quality two way player we expect, you know, one of the three, four, five best players in the world right now to play? My concern with Matthews is almost non existent. And I caveat almost because of one thing. I don't like, this is true for any major sport. I don't like when players are overly vague about injuries and injury management, and I get that some of this, maybe most of it, is cultural, and teams can put their thumb on the scale. Uh, but when you start talking about a forward like Matthews, who has been extremely predictable on a scoring basis, starts seeing scoring decline, and it's collinear with in and out of the lineup a little bit, vague comments about some sort of injury he's, he's finessing or nurturing right now, that you know, maybe that's a January issue, and it's not really material when it matters most. But stuff like that always catches my eye. So, long story short, no real concern with Matthews, but I am keeping an eye on his health because I thought his comments last week were a tiny bit eyebrow raising. Yeah, I think they, they absolutely were. But he's you know kind of shot out of a cannon since that since he took that little bit of a break. So maybe he just needed a, a couple of days there to to get himself uh, rested up, and hopefully he can get going here in the way that we know he can. Uh, we're chatting with Travis Yoster, TSN hockey analytics writer. You actually wrote a piece recently about the playoff format and how you got you got a beef about the way it is because we're sitting here, what's today, January 20th, I believe, and we already know it's going to be Leafs and Bolts in April in a seven-game series. I mean, what's uh, like? what do you think would be the best and fairest way if they were to change the format? Like, if you were commissioner for the day, do you have a solution to... Oh this yes, problem? I do. I yes, I love I do. it. But I, I'm worried. I'm worried you guys are baiting me into getting fired because there is nothing. There is nothing that drives <laughs> me more nuts about the NHL right now than this playoff format. And what killed me, of course, I wrote this piece last week, and in this year, in this case, it has a tremendous impact on Toronto and Tampa Bay, and who it's going to impact the most is whoever's going to be the team that gets that coveted two seed, who gets to play a 110 point opponent in the first round. But I've been writing about this since they introduced the format. This format, this forced divisional format, only works if you have reasonable talent balances across the divisions, which I remind everyone, we used to have talent imbalances within the conference, and yes, the, the, the division winners get the top three seeds, but it was a little bit smoother where you weren't so concerned about how 15 teams looked relative to the other 15 teams at the time. Right now, this format, if you ever have a very strong division, 
you are correspondingly going to have a very weak division somewhere else. And I, I constantly hear about the complaints about oh, it's scheduling imbalance, so they've got to do it this way. It's total nonsense. Toronto and Tampa Bay have been obliterating everyone in the league, and they're going to play each other in round one. And by the way, what's true for Toronto and Tampa Bay this year will be true for other teams in other years. If you remember last year, this, this impacted two series. It also impacted the Minnesota series in the first round where you've got two 110-point teams playing each other. And you look across, there's another series where a team with 10 less points is playing a team with 15 fewer points. It, it, it just doesn't – like. I, I am very sympathetic from a business standpoint that the league is trying to manage costs, trying to manage schedules, trying to manage, manage logistics. So you need some sort of ge- geographic center point for some of these games. But when it comes playoff time, like to me, the whole point of the playoffs is like we are playing to win. There's only one winner, and in this case, 15 losers, and that's all we care about. And if everyone generally agrees, like, yep, we just want we want a very fun playoff format that's exciting and compelling and may the best team win, you're not really doing that if you've got two theoretical top five teams in the league, which at the time of the piece, Toronto was four and Tampa Bay was five. I believe they've inverted. They're going to play each other in round one. I, I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And for the life of me, I don't understand why the league doesn't roll if, if, if they think the logistics and schedule are that punitive and penalizing for certain teams, just make it a 1-8 conference split format where the top seed plays the eighth seed in each respective conference. The winner of the conferences play each other in the Stanley Cup. It is, by and large, a, the, an almost identical format. The only difference is you don't have all this points and, and win-loss inefficiency because you are forcing the two-seed to play the three-seed in every division. That is the crux of the issue, and until that changes, this format is going to stink. Yeah, the only good thing about it is the first round is always electric, but you want it to get progressively better and better. I think that's where right. Like, it seems as though the second and third round, it's like, yeah, and then the Stanley Cup final, it ramps up because you get the top two teams. But it's like, the, like, if I had to rank them, probably the cup final is usually the best. And that's first round, second round, third round. Like, I, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's it's definitely not best TV, I would say. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And obviously... The other, you know, the other, thing, the other thing, to your point, because I take the point, I think, it, I think it's fair, right? It does, it does just kind of move the seesaw in a different direction. But I, like, I think the beauty of the first round is you've got all these games, all these teams. Some of the series are terrible. Some of them are phenomenal. Like, like you're just kind of bouncing around, right? But when it really gets meaningful, Final Four, Final Eight teams, when it, it is really the elite teams playing one another... You don't want to be in a situation where it's like actually six of them got knocked out in the first round because uh, they were they were playing a team you know 111 point team was playing a 110 point team in the first round. That's and not only that like what do you what do you say in a locker room if you're you know in this and again in this case Toronto Tampa but it will be other teams like yep great season we finished fourth in the league we're going to play a team that's fifth in the league like I I, I just I don't it it doesn't make and maybe I'm too much of a purist with this but it, it just doesn't make it, the competitive the competitive fairness piece has been entirely thrown out the window, and I think that's a concern. Well, I feel you, buddy. If you create a bill, I'll second it, and uh, maybe we, Amen. We, can, we can try and do as much as we I can like to it. change it. All right. Uh, appreciate you taking the time, Travis. We'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Hey, guys. Be easy. Appreciate you all. All right. There he goes. Travis Yost, TSN Hockey Analytics Writer. Yeah, he's really passionate about the playoffs. I'll tell you that. I love it, honestly. Well, the it, only it, hilarious thing is that we noted last week, and maybe this has changed since it was the case last week, is that in a one to eight conference scenario. No, it's still the same. 
Yeah, okay. Just confirm <laughs> that. The Leafs yeah. still get the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's always going to be that way when you have three really good teams in one division, right? Yeah. So you got your division winners, and then it's your second and third or the other division winners. And then you go back to, okay, well, fourth and fifth play each other. So it's going to be that way if you have three really good teams. Um, but if you do it just one through eight, just straight up, all right, who finishes one through eight in the conference, now it's it's a little different. But then you're not, yeah. you know, you don't get anything for winning your division. But it's like, well, I mean, just because you're in a weak division and you win it, you shouldn't be rewarded for that. You should be rewarded for beating everybody, all of the teams, right? right. I don't know. Yeah. That's... No, I agree. I agree. <sighs> It's just upsetting that we're sitting here in January, and we already know what's going to happen. There's no intrigue in uh, in the playoff race. All right, we gotta we gotta go. We got Kenzie Lalonde gonna join us uh, covering the Montreal Canadiens uh, for TSN. They're taking on the Habs tomorrow night at the Bell Center. I'm gonna try and say it in the French accent this time. Uh, so she'll join us on the other <laughs> side. I'm Mike DiStefano with you and to share. You listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Leafs Lunch is brought to you by Vanilla Visa prepaid cards available for purchase at Petro Canada. The perfect gift for any occasion for your chance to win a $100 Vanilla Visa prepaid card. Text the keyword LUNCH and your name to 105050. Standard text message rates apply. Welcome back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. Julie Tashari and Mike DiStefano with you. AB, we have a starter for tomorrow night. And this is an interesting conversation. It's not often it's super interesting because we know the Leafs like to flip back and forth between their goaltenders and, and split the net pretty evenly as close to 50-50 as possible. Samsonov had an amazing game last night versus the Winnipeg Jets. Matt Murray could could probably use a bit of a confidence booster uh, versus a Montreal Canadiens team that's not great, that we do remember how his first outing of the season went against them this year. It will be Samsonov between the pipes tomorrow night. Samsonov gets the start. All right, you know I like that move. I like that move. Let's let's you know let him the rhythm. I had this this conversation back when they were back when the you know when they both were coming back and healthy. We were having this chat if whether or not it was going to knock these guys out of their rhythm. And now that we've seen Samsonov get a couple of starts in a row, I think that uh, I, I want to see if he can get back into a groove here. And maybe edge him out, become a true 1A, 1B, as opposed to a, a 1B. But we got a lady on the line who's going to be in the building covering the game. Let's bring her in. Kenzie Lalonde, TSM Montreal reporter. Kenzie, how are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you guys? Fantastic. <laughs> oh, we're just dandy. Kenzie, is tomorrow night your first Leafs Habs at the Bell Center as our TSN Montreal Bureau reporter? Well, day one was actually the home opener there alongside the wonderful Mark Masters. So, right. Yes. 
in a way. I, yeah. So this will be my first go ahead, but Mark Masters will be there. So it's going to be a nice little reunion. <laughs> you will never escape Masters Nation. Uh, the game last night versus the Florida Panthers got a little bit heated. Walk us through that one. We were talking about Arbor Jack guy and the absolutely electric fight that he had uh, in that game versus the Jets when he grabbed the crest of the jersey and the crowd went crazy and it was so good. And then he was he was calling out Radko Gudis post-game. Entertaining night, eh? It was a trip down memory lane is how I think a lot of us took that game. It was kind of like 90s, 80s Habs, just the way how things kind of turned. Um, you've mentioned, yeah, Arbor Jacki, uh did a little dance, uh, Pizzetta as well, and so did Mike Matheson. So it was kind of this depth of guys just taking initiative, a little bit of frustration. Um, but I think that's kind of a telling to this Montreal Canadiens team. It's a little bit of a throwback. They're always going to have this grit, this level where they'll always stand up for one another and for the way the game's unfolding. And I think, you know, there was officiating all through the game where it was a little, you know, here and there. And at the end, when speaking with a lot of the players, there was so much accountability for, you know, we can't put ourselves in these situations where it's, you know, the Panthers can go four for eight on our power play. There was a lot of responsibility where you can maybe typically, you know, put some of the blame on the officiating or, you know, things didn't go our way, but they took so much responsibility in the sense that they can't put themselves in five on three situations. And so that was kind of, you know, to peel back the layer is great to see from, from a lot of the guys. And um, yeah, it, it was again, a lot of fighting, some momentum shifts as the game went on. Samuel Maltembo has been so strong as Jake Allen's been out. That was his sixth straight start. And, you know, they did do the goalie switch by that third period. Primo got his first start and a challenging goal. Um, that really wasn't his fault that that went in. So the way they finished the game is I don't think how they would have hoped it, it was to unfold. I don't know what it is between the Panthers and, and the Habs this year. There is just so much physicality that comes into it. We now know Mike Matheson was fine with the with his uh, interference call on Eric Stahl. So that came down the line this morning, despite there being no call on the play. So that was a that was interesting to see this morning to come out from, from the NHL Player Safety Board. Um, and so it kind of, you know, when you look forward to now, they'll have to face the Toronto Maple Leafs who are, who are on a bit of a ride right now and are playoff contenders. The Habs have a bit of a hard stretch right now. They'll face Toronto, they'll play Boston. And to kind of have this lull of a, of a game that was frustrating, I think, you know, the biggest thing they can do right now is have a mental reset and get ready for tomorrow. Kenzie, Julia's got her tin hat on right now because she believes that... Uh, How NHL, dare you? <laughs> the NHL might have done a little bit of funny business when it comes to selecting the All-Stars because all she saw on Twitter was hashtag Caulfield NHL All-Star. And the fact that he was not selected to the All-Star break, she believes there's some shenanigans at foot. What's the conversation <laughs> today about that in Montreal? He was asked about it today, and he kind of just chuckled. And, you know, anybody, you know to get the, the nod to play in the game. He's fine with it is what it is. Uh, but I do find it quite interesting that he was not selected. I mean, it, I guess, hey, maybe that's a little politics. Who knows how that all actually unfolds. But I think Cole Caulfield was certainly a front runner for a guy I think everybody would have liked to have seen in that in those all-star jerseys. Which, by the way, what do you guys think of those? They're such, they're such like, giving me Space Jam vibes. It's yeah. very, I'm so into them. We like yeah, them. We talked like, about it yesterday. We're, we're definitely big fans of them. Yeah, I, I prefer the colors in the 97s. I think they were like this purpley blue when they had those original ones. So I, I kind of like these, you know, neon color feels to it. And I don't know. A lot of people are hating it, but I, I, it would be nice to see Cole Caulfield throw that on. But 
you know, Saturday we'll see him go head-to-head with Matthews, and I think that's going to give hockey fans all, all, all they need when it comes to superstardom. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised. Like, I, I, obviously, Cole Caulfield's having a, a really good season, right? He's got 26 goals. He's, he's a top-tier goal scorer. It makes a lot of sense. But I thought for sure that Arbor Jacki would have got some love in the same vein the fan as, you know, like Gergensons and the way that John Scott got mm-hmm. to the All-Star game, like Arbor Jack guy. How was there not some sort of campaign to get this guy to the All-Star break to be the lone defenseman for the Atlantic Division? Yeah, I think that, you know, don't say never. You know, maybe maybe next year as he continues to, to grow and make a name for himself, but the way he's rolling right now, that's what I think is so fun about this Montreal Canadiens group is these so, these young guys are such good characters, they're such good storylines, and Armour Jacki is so um, fun to have in, in, in this locker room. I mean, he's leading D with goal scoring right now for rookies right now. He has five on the season, so that's kind of nice, too. I mean, he's not only leading in penalty minutes, but he's finding uh, ways to be effective on the ice, and that's kind of what Martin Saint-Louis said now is he knew, you know, he had a conversation with him coming into the season that, fighting isn't going to be the way, you know, he'll make his way onto the NHL stage. And he kind of knew that. And so the way he's been adapting his game and showcasing, he's more than just that, that fighter guy, I think is um, so refreshing. And he's using his skill set um, and all the tools he has in his box to be effective. And we know he can, you know, throw down as we saw last night as need be, but he's also finding ways to be effective, whether it's on the penalty kill or, or five on five action. So he's, you know, I, I think we'll see him in that all-star jersey as, as his career progresses. Uh, but, it, you know, yeah, I agree. It would have been nice to see this year in those, in those cool little neon jerseys. We're with Kenzie Lalonde right now, our TSN Montreal bureau reporter. Uh, and, Kenzie, I saw, like, the most hilarious gif of Marty St. Louis with his head leaned up against the, the glass yesterday and then, like, spews some profanity just with the most defeated look on his face. It, it was a very memeable moment. But I wanted to ask you just about the the mood around the team this season. It, it wasn't a secret that this was going to be uh, a year of development, but it's never fun to lose. Have you found that the spirits are still high, though, with this fairly young group? Absolutely. And I know exactly the meme you're talking about. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one for the book that's very is indicative of how that game went. But if you pull back the layers and kind of take a look at how this team's been approaching this season, I mean, it's apples to oranges if you're going to compare them to the Leafs in terms of where these teams are structured right now. And Kent Hughes had his press conference, midseason press conference the other day and shed light on how they're approaching the balance between winning and, and preparing for the future. And Marty St. Louis and him have, have made it clear that they're aligned with how they see the next few years unfolding and they're not going to sacrifice a win if it's at the expense of developing these young players so that they've made that clear and you can get this sense of buy-in from from the younger guys um, understanding the development process of this but the buy-in of the veterans right I think that's the hardest piece to all of this when a young player gets a chance to play they make mistakes that's okay but you have to have these veteran guys that are on board with the ups and downs and the flows of of you know the losing streaks and, and getting a good win um, you know, against the Jets, I think that was a big push for, for a lot of these guys to trust the process and to have the David Savards, the, the Mike Mathesons right now, um, Joel Edmondson as well. These are key pieces that I think are really help the locker room and the environment uh, as they continue to, to push on through the season. Second half now and you know, to, you know, they've had a, a few good wins this week. Last night was a bit of a reset but it's, it's one game at a time and, and Marty St. Louis, you have to give him such big respect for, you know, 
developing this environment where the players have room and space to to make mistakes and knowing that their coach is okay with that and and I think again whether it's throwing down the mitts and and getting scrappy uh, the Canadians will always find a way to to never give up and that's what you want to see when you're in kind of this this retooling uh, phase as, as they like to use here in Montreal. Ah, the old retool. Okay, so I'm not sure if everyone's aware, but Kenzie Lalonde has been just one of the busiest people at TSN recently, from her Habs coverage to her World Junior ringside reporting, and immediately after World Juniors, you went, and right before, like, there was rivalry series mixed in there, too, and then right after World Juniors, uh, it was time for U18s, and you were treated uh, to another Canada gold medal, which is always exciting, but you were also treated to another rising superstar in Nella Lapushinova. Can can you just tell me a little bit about uh, what you learned about her as a player throughout the tournament and, and walk me through your brain the moment that she got that Michigan goal? Because I feel like I, I heard your brain spill out onto the broadcast. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 14 years old. The world needs to know this young woman's name. Nella Lopushinova, as you said, set a record at that tournament, the Slovak forward has the skill set of the Austin Matthews of the Cold Caulfield. Like, if not, she has these skills, this finesse to her game that is perfected. And she's 14, and we all got yeah. to see it on display at the tournament. She finished, you know, with um, 12 points, the most ever by 14-year-old men's or women's at the U18 tournament. A beautiful Michigan goal that uh, you speak to. And I think Cheryl Founder and I, who is a color commentator, just looked at each other and could not believe it was a quarterfinal game, the confidence she had to do that move in a quarterfinal game. And I think it just speaks to the skill level of, of players nowadays that this is a tool they have in their tool belt and they can accomplish it. So if they see it, they're going to try it. Um, and she found success and did it beautifully. I think as we got to know her a little more, um, her note to, to the history of, of some players that have come before her in, in Slovakia was me, you know, Pavel Dimitra, the late Slovak star. She um, spoke to her, her you know, the, the move she had in, in the quarterfinal game against Czechia through her legs up and over the shoulder of Dimitra. Um, she gave a note to him and said that's where she learned the move is, is from that, that late uh, forward. And also she calls the Michigan, the Andrei Savichkov story, the, the Russian forward. So she has, awesome. you know, she, she's knowledgeable in terms of where the, the origination comes from for these moves. Um, I think it's also neat. She's coming. She's a product of, of boys hockey back home. You can only play uh, boys hockey up until you're 15 years old, and then you can play play in the women's game. And she's from the same league as your Slavkovsky back home. And so he's been injured, but I want to speak to him about it to see if maybe he knows her. So that's my that's on my to-do list. But I think when you peel back the layers and you look at the scope of what that tournament did is everybody got to see the talent of the U18 level. You know, we talk a lot about... The, the Olympic and the senior women's program and, and the gap there. And a lot of that is because of, of centralizing and how players in Canada and the United States spend a year getting ready for the Olympics. And that kind of builds this gap. Well, you look at the U18 level and that's not a thing. You are simply seeing the product of minor hockey teams all around the world and the stars that are coming. And so we're seeing Nella Lapushinova, we're seeing Shapovaly Volva of Czechia. And it was just such a raw example of the young female talent that that's in the world right now. And I think it kind of again, speaks to the importance of, of covering this tournament and how we saw Canada-Sweden final for the first time ever. So the, the, the game's growing and it's changing and it was so fun to cover. And, hey, Canada gets another gold medal. Hello. You know, that's always a, a nice little bow to put on the tournament. Yeah. Okay, wait. 
we have to let you go, but I forgot one thing. Calling the CHL game next Friday. So add that <laughs> to the list there. of things that Kenzie's doing. Yes, we'll be in studio. I love it. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, well, Quebec Shakutami, here we go. Let's rock. Let's rock. Appreciate Kenzie it, Kenzie. Kenzie Lalonde. We'll chat Thanks, soon. guys. <laughs> there she goes. Kenzie Lalonde, TSN everything. Yeah, everything the girl's on the go. Like, she is a girl on the go. Always. She, she was in a hotel for, like, two straight <laughs> months between the juniors, and then she they didn't go to Sweden for the U18s, but they called them from Toronto. So shout out to her. Those are long-haul <laughs> road trips. Well, was it? Kenzie, I can't recall. Who filled in for Masters for the Leafs? Was it Kenzie too? No, that was oh, uh, that was Claire. Oh, that's right, yeah. Claire Hannah. Right, right, yeah. right. But I was just looking in, into the numbers of uh, was it Nella Lapushinova? Is that how it's yeah. pronounced? Okay, go me. Uh, it's an 18-year-old tournament, and the 14-year-old <laughs> led the tournament in points with 12. Yeah, and and in five games, twelve points in five games, nine goals in five games as a fourteen-year-old at an eighteen-year-old's tournament. It's unbelievable. This unbelievable. is a men's league, though. Like, do you see the Slovakia U eighteen? Uh, this is the men's league that she played in. That's the one that Slavkovsky played in when he was her age as well. She's yeah. put up thirty-one points in ten games in that league. So that's a that's a quicker clip than he was actually putting up when he was 14 years old in that same league, which is insane. He went first overall to the NHL. This is unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. I can't wait to watch her uh, her career progress over the last little bit. I will be honest, though, I never felt more old than when I looked and it said, date of birth, February of 2008. I was like, Yeah, oh, 2008 wow. is pretty crazy. <laughs> that is wild. And we're sitting here talking about her dominating hockey ter- international hockey tournaments against some of the best uh, – best uh, of of the future of, of the women's game it's it's actually insane but it's nice to see you know it's there's players outside of canada and u.s that are making noise and that's what yeah really even outside of like finland right. and sweden because those countries pump out great players every once in a while but gosh yeah. yeah it's incredible yeah all right jt on the other side we got some awards to hand out we got the Leafies, uh, where we'll be handing out some awards, some hardware for some of the best players and plays of the week. So we'll do that on the other side. I'm Mike DeSefano with Julia Teixeira. You listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Honor. Prestige. A celebration of... The waitress tripped on the court. Presenting the Leafies, a celebration of Leafness. What am I going to do with the award? Nothing. That's the least of my concerns right now. On TSN 1050, the Leafs live here. Okay, AB, it was an exciting week of Maple Leafs hockey. There's the Panthers, the Bruins... No, not the Bruins. That was over the weekend, though. I guess that does count. Uh, Panthers and and last night the Winnipeg Jets. And the Bruins in that mix as well. And uh, let's start with the Dougie. The best player of the week. And I don't know if he's gotten this one yet. Weirdly, right? Have we given Austin Matthews a Dougie yet this year? That sounds blasphemous. I know, but I don't know that we have. Wow. Well... It's been a lot of JT. It's been like Geo occasionally, Marner, Marner a lot, a lot. Bill Nye, I think, it. a couple times. 
some goalies. I, I would like to give an honorable mention to to Ilya Samsonov. You know, yeah, nice re- relief performance and allowed that comeback victory over the Florida Panthers, and then was exceptional last night. Big reason why they're able to to win that game. So I will give an honorable mention to uh, to yep. to Ilya Samsonov, but. We got to give it to Austin Matthews. I mean, that's goals in, in four straight games. Three games this week, four goals. I mean, we talked about how he's just, you know, turning into an all-around player. Though it's not just the goals; it's the block shots, it's the hits, it's the takeaways, um, the commitment to a full 200-foot game. And you really saw it really flourish this week, coming back from those injuries. Yeah, he's heating up, and uh, we'll see if we can continue that tomorrow night versus the Canadians. The Sundean, the player who made a game-changing dynamic play, so essentially our play of the week. Yeah, I don't think we can pick anything else other than the game winner in overtime by William Nylander. Not Bill Nye the Rishak guy. Bill Nye, I'm going to deek your pants off you guys yeah. in that one. Uh, that was just a, a really great play. It just kind of turned on the Jets, got the corner on Verhage, and made a really strong cut across the crease and just tucked her in there nice and tight and said, good night, little ones, and uh, got a little bit too jacked up at the end, a little belly celly afterwards. Just the whole play was awesome. It was dynamic, and it was the game winner in overtime yeah. and a comeback victory. It Talk about really, game changing. Uh, absolutely. Go game ending. Points. Game ending. There you go. So, yeah, I think the B-Lander OT winner gets, uh, gets the Sun Dean this week for us. The Vive, underrated player. And this, I don't think that we've mentioned this name on this show this week, unless maybe we were listing off the D pairings. Think about it, though. Like, have we mentioned this name once on our show this week? Justin Hall is the I can't feel him. Yep, I can't feel like I'm just I'm being honest and I'm calling myself out. But also, when we're not saying his name, it generally means that something is going well. So Justin Hall is our Vive underrated player of this week because he's been steady Eddie back there in a period of time which in which Morgan Riley's figuring himself out and and uh, Brody's out. So it's it's not an ideal time for the Leafs blue line, but it's been steady Eddie nonetheless. And and Justin Hall is a guy who takes a lot of heat, so we need steady. We got to give him some love. I'm gonna give it to my guy Pierre Engvall. I'm giving Pierre Engvall the vibe for for me. I think why he's starting to he, he's because he's starting because he just plays well. That's the thing. Like Pierre Engvall, it's not the flashiness or the goals. He just does little things well. There was a play last night in the neutral zone. Uh, I believe they were trying to get the puck up to either Kyle Cotter or or Mike Sh- Mark Shifley, and just. Uh, uh, a sneaky little lift to the stick, and all of a sudden the pass doesn't connect, and the defenseman picks it off around their blue line, and all of a sudden now Winnipeg doesn't have possession anymore. Just the sneakiness of what he does. He's got such a good stick, and, and I've talked about this before. When Pierre Engvall's at his best, it's not when he's running guys through boards, which did have a hit last night pretty early. I'll say that. It wasn't a big okay. one, but he did put someone into the glass. Um, it's not when he's doing that, though. It's when he's active with his stick. And recently, that's been happening a lot. You look at that third line all week long. That third line has been fantastic with Bobby McMahon, Pierre Engvall, and David Camp. The sustained ozone pressure that they're able to have is a lot of time from winning puck battles. And Pierre Engvall does a really good job at that. He does a really good job at transporting the puck from the offensive end to the defensive end. He might be... Next to maybe Nylander, the best player cutting like going through the neutral zone with the puck. It's extremely underrated the the subtle details to his game. And I think that's exactly what this five represents in underrated players. The the, the fact that you said, Really? Why? 
That's why. It's the little things. That he was happens. also catching some heat last night, though, on, on, on various plays. Like, not for me personally, but some people online, I know, circled a couple little Angball moments that they didn't love. But I, I know your Angball love runs deep, and those are all valid <laughs> valid points. So we'll Scored give it to you. Scored this week, too. Also got a goal this week. So. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to Uncle Craig and uh, not to Uncle Chris because he's anti-Angball, right? Yes, exactly. He's very anti-Angball. <laughs> uh, the Wendell, the heart and the soul. And how could it go to anyone other than Michael Bunting this past week, who has been an absolute menace to society in every single one of the Leafs games, but also a menace on the score sheet. I mentioned earlier in the show he got the two primaries uh, on Austin's Ma- Austin Matthews' goals last night, and I believe um, he scored earlier this week, didn't he? Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. He scored or he got an assist. I think he put up a point or something earlier this week. But he was active in every single game, whether or not he hit the score sheet and uh, in just being an agitator, stepping up for Austin Matthews in that one instance where he was being cross-checked earlier this week. Like he's been it, like the definition Look, he, of the Wendell. He he knows what his role is on this team. He knows yeah. what his role is on this team, and it's it's to contribute a little bit offensively when he can. But he also has to be a bit of a spark plug, and he's got to be a chippy man, and that's what he's at his best. And I agree with you. That's that's what he was has been all week. He even even dropped the mitts. Didn't get the fight in, but the bits came off, and he went to, but they all fell and piled up. But he almost got into his first fight of the season. But yeah, he's been chirping it along the entire time. And and, and speaking of knowing your role, actually. We're going a little sideways on the uh, on our O dog here, but Mike Rupp was on Overdrive the other day. Can we play this really quickly, Chris, before we get out of here? Um, and talking about knowing your role, and I think that this was uh, you know Michael Bunting and David Camp. These guys, I think, know what their roles are. But here's what Rupp had to say in Overdrive about that last night. We're almost the way these rosters are built now. And I don't want it to go back to energy lines and, you know, fighters. Like, we've, we've graduated from that. that. We're not going back there. But game managers, players who right now lines three and four in the NHL are almost like farm team feeder lines for lines one and two. If that guy's struggling, we're going to plug him in because he's very similar in what he brings to the team. I don't know if anybody knows what their role is. And I was just saying it earlier. When I was in New Jersey, the old godfather, Lou Lamarillo, used to sit us down once a year, go around the room, and he'd look us in the eye and make us stand up in front of our teammates, and he'd say, what's your role on this team? And I might think my role is, oh, I can provide some um, depth scoring or this and that. But when you're putting that moment, your GM's looking at you, uh, the rubber meets the road in your mind, and you're like, uh, my job is to not get scored on, finish every check I can, and to make good line changes. <laughs> and you feel like a real tool, but you're like, that's what I'm here for. And I've told everybody that, so I'm going to go out and carry out what I, I think if you went around some rooms, and I think GMs and coaches would be would would be confused at what they're hearing. No, I don't sickened. think some players sickened. know what their job is on the team. It's an interesting yeah. point. I think around the league you could say that. I think in the past you could say that about Toronto, but I think there's a lot of guys who know what their role is on this team. I think right. David Camp knows what his role is. I think Pierre Engvall is starting to figure out what his role is. Michael Bunting clearly know has a defined role. You know, guys also like uh, uh, who else am I think? Zach Aston Reese knows what his role is. Yeah, I think that you know this is a team that's really kind of figuring out exactly what needs to be done from an individual perspective, to have collective team success. I think that's what we're kind of seeing here with the, this season that the Leafs are having. All right, JT, it was a phenomenal week. I enjoyed it. We had a lot what of fun. What a week. 
and uh, enjoy the weekend for yourself and for everybody listening. We'll be back on Monday. If you missed any of today's show, you can find it on tsn1050.ca, the Art Radio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Gameplay with Matt Cost coming up next.